Y'all doing good? Very high. Okay, so not great. Um, yeah, I get it. I get it. It's towards the end of the semester, right? We, that's a good thing, all right? Like, we're almost done. It's so great to almost be done, but it's also like, where did the time go? Um, like, I know, like, as I was preparing this sermon to end up James, I'm like, what just happened, right? Like, we just started, like, two weeks ago, right? Um, this isn't the 10th week of James, I promise, um, but it is. Um, and, like, as we come to the conclusion of this book, man, it, he covers a lot. Um, we're going to cover a lot tonight, uh, so, like, listen quickly. Um, like, it's going to be good, um, but I just kind of think, as I, like, read chapter 5 of James, um, of a time, like, when I was a senior in college. Any seniors in the room? Yeah, yeah I see y'all. Okay, y'all representing. Uh, man, at the end of college, I got this question a ton. Hey, if there's one thing you could tell yourself from, like, freshman year or sophomore year, what would it be? And man, when you asked me that question, I went on for like 35 minutes, right? Like there was not one thing I could tell you. Uh, there was a lot of things wrapped up into it because I learned so much through my four years of college. And that's what I kind of feel like I get like with James right here. He's like, okay, I got to wrap up at some point. Um, but like here is everything else that I've ever heard. Uh, like this is what you need to know. So it's going to be a little different. Like it doesn't, as, it's not as cohesive as normal. Um, but, like, we're going to cover a lot of scripture, and it's going to be really good. Uh, as I say every week, I'm excited uh, to be here, and I'm excited that you're here because the word is powerful, uh, and I'm excited to dig in. So, y'all ready? Okay, cool. Uh, let's do it. So, we're going to be in chapter 4, um, uh, verse 13 is where we're going to start. And we're going to break it up a little bit because if I read through the end of the chapter, it would be monotonous. Uh, so, four thirteen through 17. Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come and worship you and praise your name. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word um, because we recognize that that is a blessing in our lives. And uh, Lord, I just ask that you would be with us tonight as we read through your word, um, that you would open our hearts and that you would open our minds for what you have for us. Uh, Lord, that we would seriously just take a few minutes to hear from you. And Lord, we just ask that you speak to each and every one of us. And Lord, that we would not leave this place the same. Lord, that we would be changed because we know your word has power. And Lord, that we would have a faith that works. That we would have a faith that accomplishes what you have called us to do. Lord, we love you. It's your son's name I pray. Amen. So, as we get to the end of four and the beginning of five, uh, James is talking to rich people. Um, he's talking to these people who have a lot of money or business people. Uh, in this specific passage that I just read, uh, he's talking to a merchant, right? Um, he's going into a town, and he says, okay, a year or two from now, I'm going to go to this new town. I'm going to make a profit. Uh, like, it's going to be great. We're going to trade. Uh, it's going to be a good thing to do. And so as we read the next text, we're like, okay, James, what's wrong with this? This person is just planning, right? Uh, they're just planning for the future. Um, but we make it, it's very clear for James. The issue with this person is they're making plans without the Lord's hand. They're making plans saying, okay, this is what I am going to do for the next couple of years. 
This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a profit. I'm going to go to this town. I'm going to move here. And never once do they consult God. Never once do they say, okay, Lord, where do you want me to go? Like planning in and of itself is not sinful, right? Like if it was, like I would be pretty good because I'm a really bad planner. Uh, But like a lot of you might struggle, right? Um, It's one of those things that like I am very spontaneous. Like I know what I need to do and I'll get it done. Um, At some point, it might be late, it might be early, we'll figure it out, right, when we get there. Um, I married a person who is not that. Um, (laughs) She is very wonderful and a planner, right? Um, I think we've learned a lot from each other the last couple of years. Um, I have learned to be more organized and planner-ish. That's not a word. Uh, And, like, she's been a little bit more spontaneous, right? It's been a good trade-off, I think, because, like, I'm a mess, she's very organized, and we just work well together. Um, But, like, planning in and of itself isn't bad. That's not what he's saying here, right? He's not saying if you, like, plan out your future, you're sinful. Like, that doesn't make any sense. He wants you to think through the future and not live day to day. But the issue right here is it's clear in verse 14 through 16. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. This is so important, guys. I think you make more plans in college that fall through than any other time in your life. I hope, because, like, I struggled in college, and, like, I'm moving on that. But, like, I think we have a lot of plans. Like, how many people in here, don't, I mean, don't be embarrassed, like, have changed your major? Yeah, right? Like, we had a plan at one point. It changed. And, like, as we think through this, plans, again, are not bad. But are we truly seeking God's plan for our lives, or are we seeking our own? And that brings us to kind of the first point, not plant. Uh, Our plans must align with God's plan. Our plans must align with God's plan. The issue with this merchant that's seeking a prophet was the fact that he was doing it on his own will. He was doing it out of his own strength and out of his own pride, saying, you know what, I know I'm going to go to this town. I know I'm going to make a profit because of what I can do. But the issue is, like, only God knows what he's going to do. Only God has a plan for his life and a plan for our lives. We need to make sure at the center of all of our plans is the Lord. At the center of all our plans is, okay, God, what is your plan for my life? Because when we start making plans without him, they are going to fail. There's no good plan without God in the middle middle of it. Guys, I think this is a big issue, especially for college students. Um, There's a lot of people, like, again, I saw the seniors a minute ago. Like, y'all have some plans moving forward. If not, it's okay. It will come. I promise it does, right? Like, but the thing is, as we look for the future, what are we looking for? What is the plan we're truly seeking after? Is Is it a plan to bring honor and glory to God, or is it a plan to bring ourselves success? Is it a plan to bring ourselves money and, and just a, a high regard of our own name? I think this is the most important question you can ask yourself and ask the Lord, is Lord, reveal your plan to me because I know I do not hold tomorrow in my hands. It is a mist, James says. It is here today, gone tomorrow, but you know who is not? The Lord himself. He is in control, and we cannot lose sight of that. We cannot make plans without him because he is the only one who knows what our plans really need to be. 
And guys, I think this is one of the hardest things to do because we want to know what our life is going to look like in five years. I promise you, I do. Like, I want to know what the future holds. But at the end of the day, if we don't give it over to the Lord, we're going to be doing things that do not bring him honor and glory. We're going to be doing things in our life that have nothing to do with God and nothing to do with his favor. And instead, they do everything to do with success and what's best for us. That's not what we're called to live as a follower of Christ. We're called to make sure that our plans align with God's. So we need to make plans. But we need to center these plans on what God's will is for our life. So the second thing we see in this passage is that our desires must align with God's desires. So we'll be in chapter 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Jeez, James, chill. Like, like, this is the strongest rebuke probably in Scripture, but it is definitely the strongest rebuke in this letter. He does not have any hold, right? He, he's not holding back at all. And he's, he kind of changes his audience a little bit. Uh, so throughout the whole letter, we've talked about how he's been writing to Jewish Christians. And we know this over and over again because he'll say, hey, brothers, do this. Hey, brothers, do this. Hey, brothers or brothers and sisters, do this, right? He does not say that right here. He says, come now, you rich. He is just talking to the rich people of the world, but he is understanding that the people in the church need to understand this too. These people, these rich people, they're very wealthy. They're very successful in the eyes of the world, right? They, they have a lot of money. They have gold. They have garments. But what he's saying right here is it doesn't matter. These things are all going to go away. Whether it be gold that corrodes, which gold doesn't corrode, but it's an example, right? Like he's saying it is worthless. Your garments are going to be eaten by moths. You've laid up treasure here, but you were never going to reap it. And you did all of this in the process of making others prosecuted, making others suffer, right? He talks about these harvesters who cry out and say, hey, can I have my wages for the day? And this rich man says, no. This rich man says, no, go and be hungry. Guys, I know this seems extreme, and I know nobody in this room is like, man, I'm a rich person. This is speaking to me today. But guys, we have to understand that this richness comes from a lot of different areas. This is not just monetary. A lot of the times, the success that drives this man is the success that drives us. And maybe for you, it's not wealth. Maybe that's not your end goal, but maybe for you, it's straight A's, right? I lost that real early on in college, but like, maybe for you, you've held on, right? We can't push through and say, I'm going to get an A in this class at all costs, even if it means I don't care for the people that are around me. It means that when someone comes to you hurting and says, hey, can I talk with you for a little bit? And you go, no, I really have to study. 
He's saying you have looked at success more than you look about the people of God and you have missed it. Our desires must align with God's desires. Otherwise, we are going to be in a world of hurt. Otherwise, we're going to be suffering and we're going to be just like this rich person because we've defined success in a way that is not godly. We've defined success by what the world defines success by and not by what God defines success by. As you read this, you probably like, have heard this before, right? This seems very Matthew 6-like, um, where, where Jesus, he, he talks uh, to these people during the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, where their treasure is, their heart will be also, right? The issue with these people is they made their treasure, their riches, so much so that they have forgotten the people that they have trampled upon. They don't care about the people that work for them because all they care about are their riches. And while you might not have a lot of money, this could come in a lot of different areas of your life. If your success and your desires are not fueled by what God's are, you are going to do this to people around you. Maybe for you, you're so on on track to do this thing that you miss opportunities to share the gospel. You have the greatest wealth and the greatest riches in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you are holding on to and you're hoarding just like this rich man is when people around us are suffering and dying and going to hell. We need to make sure that we are not so one-track mind that we see the people that are hurting around us. That we see opportunities to share Jesus because that is the greatest treasure that we could ever have. So the question is simple. Where is your treasure? Where do you spend all your time? Are wants and desires really fueled by what fuels Christ? Are we truly seeking a way to bring him honor and glory? Are we just trying to do that for ourselves? We need to be careful, guys. Because it's so easy to do good things but lose people in the process. Like being a good steward of your school is a great thing. I'm never going to say it's not. Like, we're to do everything unto the glory of God. We're to work heartily for him. We have to be good stewards of our school. But if that means we're sacrificing our relationships with Christians and non-Christians alike, we might have our, 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 our priorities misaligned. We might have our priorities out of whack, right? Guys, we need to make sure that our desires are the same as So the next thing is very different. So we we change audiences once again. Uh, So this is the third time he's changed audiences in about 12 verses. So you understand why there's a lot going on here, right? Uh, So in verse 7, he he goes back to the brothers. He goes back to these poor and these, these broken and persecuted Jewish Christians. And he says to them, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it. Until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Man, that's good stuff. I'm sorry. Uh, I need a second. Uh, So the third thing we see in this passage is that we must patiently endure. We're going to face a lot of difficult things in our lives. That's just plain and simple. 
But he says you need to patiently endure. You need to establish your heart in the ways of the Lord. Otherwise, you're going you're gonna to be tossed to and fro. We, see that, we saw that in chapter 1, right? We understand that we have to be patient in the midst of suffering because suffering produces steadfastness within us. James is calling us to be steadfast because he knows things are going to be difficult. He knows things are going to be tough for these these Jewish Christians that are being persecuted by the rich people we just talked about. This he knows, so he says, be patient. Be steadfast. Establish your hearts in the Lord because that is the only place that you can establish your heart and it not move. You have to establish your heart in the Lord. He gives an example here. He gives three examples here, actually. Uh, the first is of a farmer. Anybody like farming in here? I'm a big fan. I really am. Uh, like, I like, to, I like to garden. I like all of it. Uh, like, I know it's not normal, but, like, I do. Uh, like, I really enjoy it. Uh, like, I grew up in a suburb, and, like, I had a strip of land, like, from me to the wall, you know, like, this wide. It wasn't much, but I used it, you know. Like, I grew some strawberries and some watermelons and some, and some tomatoes, all of it. Like, I loved it. I don't know if you've ever done it, though, but, like, it doesn't happen overnight, right? Like, you you plant a seed or you plant a plant, and you have to wait, like, 60 to 90 days for it to produce fruit most of the time. Sometimes it'll produce fruit a little early. But, like, tomatoes, 90 days. You can bank on it. If I went out there every day and was just like, all right, produce fruit, do it. I'm going to do as much as I can, right? Like, I'm going to fertilize it every single day. It's going to die, right? Like, we need to sit back and just wait. And that's what he's saying here. You have to be patient. But if you know anything about farmers, they are the most hardworking people you'll ever meet. So this doesn't mean sit back and do nothing. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of trials, in the midst of just difficulty, he doesn't say be patient and sit still. He said be patient like the farmer. The farmer works hard amidst his patience. He knows the fruit's coming, so he's preparing He's preparing his, his, what are they called, barns? Uh, I don't know, I forgot. Uh, but like, he's preparing all of these things for the fruit that is to come. He's watering it, right? He's making sure weeds aren't sprouting up amidst his plants. Farmers work heartily for their plants, but they're patient. Because if they're not patient, they're going to kill their plants before they ever produce fruit. And he's saying to us that we need to be patient, but we need to work in our patience. Waiting on the Lord means that we are working during that time. We don't just say, okay, Lord, come whenever, and you sit still and do nothing. You, you wait in action. You wait and you prepare for the coming of the Lord, because he doesn't want to see you sitting still when he gets here. He wants to see you proclaiming the name of Jesus and making sure people know him. The second example he gives in this passage is of the prophets. Uh, he says it in verse 10. He says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. These prophets were crazy, man. Like, they lived in the midst of just the worst of Israelite history. They, they were around when the things were just, they were falling apart. Left and right, they were, they were falling into sin. They were doing everything the Lord told them not to do. And these prophets said, you know what? I see the sin, I see the issue, and I'm going to speak for the Lord. I'm going to live apart from it. And that's what he's saying to us. He's saying you have to be patient like the prophet who spoke out and stood out during these times. During times of suffering, during times of of hardness and and just struggle in your life, you have to be the prophet who stands out for the Lord. Especially in a culture where it's not happening, you have to stand out. 
you have to speak in the name of the Lord because it is our job. We are called to stand out. We're called to persevere even when no one around us is persevering. We're called to follow the Lord even when no one around us is truly following after Christ. We have to follow God like the prophets. And the last example he gives is of Job. Um, I don't know if you know anything about the story of Job. Also insane, right? Like, it's like 40, 50 chapters of just, like, sadness, it feels, right? Like, Job is this, this great Christian man uh, who, who is tried, right? Uh, Satan comes in and said, okay, what can I do to him? How can I make him curse your name, God? I understand you think he's faithful, but I can get him to turn. So he takes everything away from him. His children, his livestock, his, his riches, his wealth. His wife hates him. Like, man, this is a rough place to live. And if that wasn't enough, then he had sores and boils all over his body. And he was not only lost everything, but he was sick. He had nothing to live for. But this man, he, he, he continually in the faith, right? He was steadfast. He followed God no matter what. He did ask questions, right? He didn't just take it all of the time. He said, why is this happening to me? And that's okay. We recognize that you are going to struggle and you're going to go through things. You're going to say, why is this happening to me? But it doesn't matter when you say that. It's how you respond to it. Where is your faith? Because Job never lost faith. He understood that the Lord was compassionate and good, even when we can't. And guys, he had a lot rougher time of it than we ever will. And the Lord blessed him for being faithful amidst it. I think one of the coolest passages right here is we see Job, like this example of Job, which just seems very difficult, very hard to wrap our minds around. And he said, you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We have to remember, no matter what we go through, that the Lord is good. That the Lord is, is tenderly full of compassion, is what this word means, and merciful to us. Even though we might struggle, even though we might go through hard times and suffering, we have to recognize that God has never changed. He has never left us. He is still good. He is still compassionate and merciful to us. And that's what gets us through. That's what helped Job get through because he knew the Lord was good. And he followed him in faith through it all. So as the last thing we go to, as uh, in verse 13 of chapter 5, we must be people of prayer. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain. And the earth bore its fruit. I realize I skipped a verse uh, in verse 12. Um, but verse 12, is, it seems very random. But he basically just says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, I think this is something that's really important. So I'm going to cover it. Otherwise, I would have probably not come back to it. Um, but like as college students, this is the hardest thing to do. You have to be committed when you say yes. James is saying that you don't have to make an oath. You don't have to make a swear. You don't have to make a promise. Your yes should be yes and your no should be no. 
So when you say yes to commit to something, you should follow through and do it. When you say no to something, you should do that as well. We need to understand and we need to be careful with our yeses and our noes. This is such a dangerous and such a temptation for each and every one of us in, in here because there is so many opportunities to do things. There are so many opportunities to do good things and we could catch ourselves saying yes to everyone because it pleases them. But we need to make sure that our yes means yes and our no means no. And that, mean, that might mean we take a little bit to say yes and no. I think one of the most helpful things that was ever taught to me is that, hey, instead of answering right away, especially with a commitment, you say, hey, I'm going to get back to you. Let me pray through that. Or, hey, I'm going to get back to you. Let me think through that. Because in the moment, it is so hard to think through the consequences of what you're saying yes or no to. So sometimes we need to back up. Sometimes we do need to say, okay, is this what the Lord wants me to do? If so, then I'll do it. And I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to follow through. If no, I'm going to be honest to that as well. But guys, we have to be careful here because I think we're a generation where we say yes and we say no, and we are the flakiest people you'll ever meet. Because as soon as we say yes, we're going to back out. As soon as we say no, well, we're probably going to say no. But like, we have to recognize that we have to be careful with our words. Just like we talked about a few weeks ago with taming the tongue, our words have weight, and we need to make sure as Christians that we're following through with that. So as we move into the last section, sorry, I had to cover that. Um, we must be people of prayer. So he covers about six or seven verses here, and over and over and over again, we see this, this theme of prayer pop up. And we see this thing of, of prayer being center to the Christian life, right? So I know Dr. Goza said it a few weeks ago on Sunday, but James was known as Old Camel Knees, which is an interesting nickname. Uh, but like he was known as this because he spent so much time on his knees in prayers that his knees were like leather. Right? He was on his knees so much praying for the church and praying for himself that he was devoted to praying. He fervently did this consistently. And while this might not be a good nickname, he might not have liked it, like it means how it shows how faithful he was. Guys, and I know for a fact no one in this room prays enough. Especially myself. If we truly understand the power that lies within prayer, we're gonna do it a lot more. But I think the issue and the reason we don't pray, pray is because we don't believe it has power. And James right here is making it evident that no matter what you do, you should pray. If you're suffering, pray. If you are in a cheerful mood, sing praise, which is just praying to God gladly, right? If you, if you are sick, call on the elders of the church to pray. Pray for one another. Over and over and over again, we need to pray because we know that prayer has power. We see this interesting uh, verse here, um, which has been very debated uh, over time in verse 15. Uh, it's basically this prescription for healing. Uh, and as we look through it, uh, it can be a very interesting and uncomfortable passage, especially if you grew up Baptist, right? Um, because like, we're like, wait, does that say if you pray for somebody, they're going to be healed? Like, what? <laughs> That's not right. Uh, we don't believe in supernatural intervention, but it happens. Uh, it's real. It's scriptural. And we need to recognize that. Um, we need to recognize that we do need to have bigger prayers and bigger faith. Um, I think one of the best stories I've ever heard was a pastor up in Shreveport. Um, he had a brother who didn't know Jesus. Uh, and literally for 30 years, he prayed for him every single day. In 30 years, at the end of this man's life, he gave his life to Christ. Because prayer has power, guys. 
Don't give up on people. Don't give up on yourself because prayer can change not only your life, but the lives of people around you. And as we see in this, this healing passage, prayer can heal. While we're not guaranteed that it works every single time, right? And while we're not guaranteed that, that every time we pray for the rain to stop like Elijah did, the rain's going to stop. That's not what he's saying here. But he's saying these people prayed in the will of God. And they prayed in the name of God. And that way, if it was God's will, it was going to be done. And we need to be faithful to pray. We need to be faithful to pray for those who are sick. We need to be faithful to pray in every area of our life because we recognize that prayer has power. Man, he gives this example of Elijah, um, which like, if you don't know in Jewish culture, right, like we're talking to Jewish Christians, Elijah was like Superman, right? Like he was like the prophet, like he was the guy. He defeated the prophets of Baal. He called fire from heaven, for goodness sake. Like, he called it to stop raining for three years, and then, like, he was like, hey, I think it can rain again. He prayed again, and it rained again. Like, over and over again through Elijah's life, he was incredible. And that's what they thought of him, right? Like, they put Elijah up here on a pedestal, and they're like, man, that dude had power in his prayers because of how righteous he was. But if we look in this text, it says the prayer of a righteous person has power when it's working. It doesn't say the prayer of the religious elite, right? It doesn't say the prayer of, of the prophets alone. It says the prayer of a righteous person. And that's exactly what James is trying to help these Jewish Christians understand. He says, Elijah had a nature of our own. He was just like you and me, is what James is saying. But this man prayed with faith, and he prayed fervently, as it says in verse 17, for it not to rain for three and a half years. And you know what happened? didn't rain and he said okay the drought needs to come to an end so he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore fruit elijah is not some superhero that we read about in a comic book he was a person just like me and you but he was faithful to god he was faithful in his prayers and he understood that they would work and i think that's why we stink at prayer right because i don't think we truly think they would work like, when we pray for a lost person, I don't really think that we think they're going to be saved. And that's an issue, right? Because the gospel has power and prayer has power as well. So we need to understand that we need to be people of prayer. And James, like he has done throughout this whole book, he ends this book very abruptly. Um, it's not like any of the other epistles where, he's, where Paul's like, hey guys, see y'all later. Like, make sure to say hey to all these people. Um, no, James is just like, okay, let's go. And he says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Guys, this is the most challenging two verses I think I've ever read. Because as we've gone through this book, as we've read through this book, we've understood how hard it is to be a Christian, right? There is a lot that has been required of us. In order to have a faith that works, we have to do a lot of things. And in order to do it, he says, you need people that are holding you accountable. You need people that are pointing you out of sin and to Christ. You need people that will truly point you back to the word of truth because that is where you need to be. And it will save a soul. Guys, this is so challenging and so, man, we just ignore this. We don't ever bring people from wandering back to Christ. We just let them wander. 
you never know how much a simple word of like, hey, I hope, you, I'll, I hope I'll see you at church on Sunday. You never know how much power that holds. Or you never know how much power saying, hey, I've seen you've been struggling with this. Um, I'd love to help you walk through that. You don't know how much power that is. But James right here says it has the power to save a soul. And if that's what we're about, right, if we're truly about saving souls, we're going to bring people from death to life. And we're going to bring people that have followed Christ and point him back when they wander. Everything we've read throughout this book, while it is challenging, James says you're not going to be able to do this on your own. People are going to wander. Bring them back. Bring yourself back when you start to wander as well. Guys, and as we conclude this study, I am sad that it's over, honestly. Like, it has been so good and so challenging. One thing I think we've seen throughout the whole thing is that if we have right belief, we're going to do it. Right? We're going to have right actions. We're going to have right living if our beliefs are correct. So as we conclude, uh, I just wanted to provide a little brief summary. Because I've given you all a lot of things to do today, right? Like James ended with like 15, like do this things. And I wanted to make sure that we understood why we're doing this. As we saw very early on in, in James chapter 1, one of the main things that runs throughout this book is that the only way to have a faith that works is through the gracious work of the gospel. If we don't know Christ in the gospel, then it doesn't matter how we live. We could do a lot of these things right. We've, we could think we're doing a lot of these things right, but if Jesus is not working within us, we're never going to meet the standard that he has set before us. If we don't recognize that the gospel is what changes our life and not us and our actions and our effort, then we're going to work harder and harder, but we're not going to get anywhere. The gospel changes lives. The gospel saves souls, not our actions. And the second thing, as we see throughout the rest of this book, is that a genuine faith in Christ is actively working in order to bring him glory. I'm going to say that again. A genuine faith in Christ is actively working to bring him glory. And guys, we need to understand this wholeheartedly. The title of the series is A Faith That Works because if we have genuine faith in Jesus Christ, our lives are going to reflect that genuine faith. We are going to be people that tame the tongue. We're going to be people that care for the poor. We're going to be people that seek wisdom. We're going to be people that go through trials with joy in our hearts because we know they produce steadfastness in our lives. We're going to be people of prayer. We're going to be people that truly trust in the gospel that has been given to us. And our lives are going to reflect that completely. Guys, I said it last week, but there's no such thing as good Christians and Christians. There's Christians and there's not Christians. If we are following Christ, our lives are going to show that every single day. If we have given our lives over to Christ as Lord and Savior, we are going to live for His glory, not our own. So as we move into our reflection time, guys, um, if it's your first time here, it's something we do every week. Um, we, we reflect on this passage. Um, one or two of these questions is going to reflect on the whole series, right? Um, because I think it's very important that we understand these, these major themes that have run through James. Um, but I'm just going to ask a few questions, um, and we're going to spend some time just praying through them. Um, just, just asking that the Lord will reveal in our hearts what he wants for us, how he wants us to respond to the, the message that has been given. So I'm going to pray real quick, and then I'm going to ask the four questions. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity 
to study your word. Lord, I just ask that you would work in our hearts, that you would work in our lives, Lord, and that we would see how we fail you. Lord, but we would also see the great mercy and compassion that you have for us, even when we do. Even when we wander, Lord, we know that you care for us. Even when we are suffering, Lord, we know that you care for us. Lord, we are so grateful for all that you have done for us. We are so grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings us from death to life. Lord, we are so thankful, and we praise your name because, Lord, we know that you have died for us so that we could live. Lord, I just ask that you would be with us, Lord, that we would have a faith that works. Lord, that we would not just be a a nominal Christian, but, Lord, that we would give everything over to you. That's your son's name, I pray. Amen. So the first question we see is, have you genuinely placed your faith in Christ? As we've seen throughout this whole book, this is the key. You can't just do right things. You have to truly have genuine faith in him. Second, do your actions reflect a genuine faith? If not, why? The third is, do our plans and desire align with God's? And lastly, how can your life be more obedient in prayer? I don't think I put them up there. I apologize. Um, But I'll, I'll say them again. Have you genuinely placed your faith in Christ? Do your actions reflect a genuine faith? If not, why? And do our plans and desire align with God's? So just take some time to pray, guys. Uh, They're going to play a song here in a minute. Um, And if you want to stand and sing, you can do that. If you want to continue praying, do that. If you need someone to talk to, um, if you'd like to place your faith in Christ, I would love to talk to you about that. I'll be in the back of the room.